This is a VOFM special broadcast. The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to VOFM 88.1. Hear it. Dumelang Morweni Sambunani. And welcome to another installment of the COVID Report, where we unpack and dissect COVID-19 and its impacts on the various aspects of our lives. This is your one-stop shop for all your facts, stats, and figures with none of the misinformation. I am your host, Siposi Lengosa Zanambuli, and today is no different. We are looking at the impact of COVID-19 on people with disabilities. And to unpack that further, we are speaking to Nchabeni Nchituni, who is the Vice President of Blind SA. Blind SA is an organization that equips blind people with the skills they need to fully be independent and participate in society. Welcome to the COVID Report in Chativeni, and thank you so much for joining us. The first question for me is, it is without a doubt that COVID-19 has impacted a lot of people in various ways. So take us through what the impact of the pandemic has been on Blind SA as an organization and on the visually impaired community. Thank you so much, Stephen, to the listeners. Uh, you correctly said in your intro that Blind SA uh, assists and supports blind people, particularly with uh, skills to live their daily living. Uh, it further empowers them in reading skills. It further empowers them in uh, affording them opportunities through work uh, opportunities and everything. But then, uh, to your question, the COVID-19 and the lockdown subsequently brought a halt in many of the services that we give and provide for our uh, people and members. Firstly, uh, we do not do mobility as per usual. Uh, you remember that mobility would have to be physically there as a practitioner. You will have to have your, your person or group of people with you at that particular time and spot. Uh, this had been brought to a halt because uh, of the rules that go with the uh, lockdown and everything. So it means that the blind people are now disadvantaged in terms of the services that they used to get from Blind SA. <clears throat> Secondly, uh, the production of Braille material as one of our main focal areas uh, couldn't, could, couldn't be done during this time around because we need to have staff on site for us to produce Braille. And uh, one uh, of the setbacks is that our organization was not seen as an essential service provider. So for that reason, it was not given that green light to uh, work throughout the lockdown period. Uh, So we could not provide magazines. We could not provide reading materials to our students who are at universities. We could not provide... Uh, materials to leisure reading and everyone else who, who, who uh, eagerly wait for material from Blind SA. So those services are, are shut down. We could not as well provide uh, services to our member organizations uh, normally because we would have to meet them and discuss issues within their regions and areas. So during this period, we could not visit our member organizations and that resulted in our members suffering in regions and provinces because we could not respond to their uh, uh, desperations and and problems that they encounter on a daily day-to-day basis. So in a nutshell, that is how the organization had felt the the pandemic 
But then individually, I think most of the blind people out there had felt the presence of the lockdown through many uh, restrictions that they encounter as, as people within the society. Remember, these regulations, when they are promulgated, they are not promulgated for a certain category of people that are promulgated for everyone. So it becomes a problem when a blind person who relies on CPO to lead him or her to a particular area where he would want to be doing X, Y, and Z for himself. And now CPO could not do that uh, because of the restrictions that are saying you don't have to be uh, near a person, uh, you need to give a distance of uh, 2 meters or 1.5 meters apart. So that is a restriction that played a role significantly to the lives of our blind people out there. Many contentious points in your answer. But firstly, I'd like to ask, when you were not declared an essential service, did you challenge this? And do you agree with your classification of not being an essential service? Because I'm outraged at hearing that you weren't one. Uh, yes, we tried to challenge it. We, from the onset, we wrote to the Department of uh, Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. Uh, we did not respond. They did not respond to our queries. We then rerouted our uh, inquiries to the Department of uh, uh, Social Development. Uh, we did not receive any response. And we even proceeded to the Houghton province itself so that maybe someone can give us an ear and advise us on what to do. Uh, still, we did not get uh, any feedback. Yes, um, you see, the, the problem is that uh, when, when we do not get responses, it, it tells us that no one is taking us serious. And, and they do not think of the disabled person in general and the blind person in particular out there who would require these services that we offer to these people. Uh, remember, we, we, we need to, to be supporting a student whom we are saying you are not going to be forfeiting this year of study. You are still going to be studying this year. And you must continue with your studies, whether you are at home or where. And this person does not have his Braille book. This person does not have his or her daisy material if he doesn't read Braille. Uh, and, and we could not provide for that because uh, our offices were closed. Uh, so we could not make any production. So, so yes, it, it becomes a serious problem and we took it upon ourselves to challenge that, but no one assisted us by giving us responses, unfortunately. Truly saddening that you weren't considered as essential and that no one cared enough to respond to your outcries. But as an organization, you did mention that you offer a plethora of service and one of them being around employment and helping blind individuals find employment. How has this responsibility been for Blind SA during the pandemic? To some extent, were you able to fulfill it? And also seeing that the number of retrenchments that have been happening due to COVID-19, what are your thoughts around this and the possible employment of blind people within the country? Firstly, we could not fulfill this <clears throat> because um, remember companies were closed and Blind SA itself was closed. We tried to, to mitigate by saying that most of our staff who do not work directly with production of material could be working from home. We afforded them equipment to work from home. Uh, unfortunately, because companies were closed, our placement officer could not uh, achieve this, uh, uh, this outcome because uh, she could not make any contact with companies. 
we, we do employment through an advocacy-oriented uh, program. This would mean that we go to a company and sell a blind person there, that this person can come and work here, and this person can be as productive. So give them opportunity and see what they do for you. So if companies are closed, you can do that. So, so, so that, was, that was a setback. And perhaps I should say that, uh, you see, the, the complexity when it comes to uh, how organizations of our stature work is that because we rely on third parties, if that person is not or that party is not available, uh, to a certain extent, then the service becomes uh, abruptly halted. Uh, th that is what we had experienced with the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, and, and I think most of us might have felt that uh, that way. So the retrenchment part of your question, luckily for now, as Blander said, we've not thought of retrenching, but it is only a problem because our people, most of our blind people are working in the sectors, whether private or public. And if a private sector would be contemplating of retrenching, it could so mean that one, of, one or two of our blind fellows out there would be retrenched. And, and that would be a setback to us because much as we are striving to get <laughs> not to the 7%, the dream that the, 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 the government of South Africa had yet put for themselves, failing to fulfill the 2%, we are still striving to go to the 2%. In general, so so if we retrench two or three or even ten, it means that we are now undoing that that we did towards that two percent, which are still failing to achieve even now. So so it would be detrimental within within the sector itself as as a disability sector to see retrenchment playing themselves in because it would mean that we are really jeopardizing the lives of people with disabilities in general. So that is a problem. That is definitely a massive problem and one that the government may not have considered yet. And another thing that government may have not considered, including the fact that you offer services to help this, is the readiness of schools reopening has been a debate now for quite some time and has finally happened today being day one. What is your view on this? And have since the opening on level three, have you been able to equip learners on everything COVID-19 to a level where they are ready themselves to go back to school and implement necessary precautionary measures? For the past three weeks, Blind SA in particular had been in, in discussions with the Department of Basic Education and some principals of schools uh, so that we can get the schools ready uh, for, for reopening. Look, it was a problem which we raised with the department to say, we, we, we have the guidelines with you, which we shared with the sector, particularly with Brand SA, and we think these guidelines do not really speak to schools for uh, visually impaired people. So we would want them to be realigned so that they can address issues, specific issues for learners with disabilities, particularly blind. <clears throat> we worked on them, then the guidelines currently are fine, I would say. But here are the issues which we raised with them, which are pertinent. One is that the guideline speaks about regular sanitization. What could be regular to a mainstream or what they call a regular school would not be regular in terms of a school for visually impaired learners. 
Because if you have to sanitize in the morning and in the afternoon, for learners with vision impairment, you will have to sanitize four to five, even six times, because these people would always be touching everything that they come across when they are walking. So those things would have to be sanitized very, very much uh, frequently, more than regular. So we had to redefine that regular so that it, it aligns itself with the, uh, with the manner in which learners with vision impairment uh, behave within their premises and everywhere. So, so those are the things we, we checked with. We checked with the, with the schools that uh, they are provided with uh, relevant and very specific PPEs. Uh, you see the normal, uh, what you call a, a mask that one wears, cloth mask that one wears, that does not serve much purpose for a blind person who is going to be obstructed in uh, his or her independence because the smell of the environment would be different. Uh, that might even uh, impede his or her movement. It might impede his or her understanding of the environment because at some point, that person might know that, okay, I'm at this point because I'm, I'm smelling this uh, particular smell. So that obstruction itself was problematic and we had to take cognizance of that. So, so yes, we engaged with the department. Uh, as for how ready are the schools, uh, practically, I'm not so sure whether they will be ready. The principals themselves uh, two weeks ago assured us that the schools will be ready uh, by the time they, they, they open. Unfortunately, on Friday last week, uh, the principals were not at the meeting where we were discussing the final document. We only discussed the document itself, but we didn't get the assurance of how schools are ready. Uh, we are still going to find out that uh, today and tomorrow with our uh, people on the ground. Uh, on the question of uh, what we have done in terms of empowering our learners who are going back to school, our only uh, possible way we could intervene is to ensure that schools uh, are made ready by the department. We could not go there ourselves as planners and, uh, and make them ready. Uh, so we are going to follow up with the department and see if everything that they had said they would do had been done. Uh, and if they didn't do, uh, we'll look at the reports from the principals and the teachers and see uh, if we can uh, further intervene by uh, playing an advocacy role with the Department of Basic Education itself. Let me just touch on this uh, problem which arose when the pandemic uh, played itself in. Uh, when we were uh, locked down from the 26th of uh, March, the setback or the problem that created uh, is that we, we were informed that uh, learners would be given lessons on TV. And the question which we, which we raised with the department then was, but we do not have uh, everyone who can sit in front of the TV and get the lesson there. Blind people may not even find it very practical if, they, if the TV is their source of, of learning. And, and, and the online learning itself was not made in a manner that would accommodate uh, blind learners. So, so we raised this, these problems with the department. Unfortunately, because when the whole regulation process was done, it was not done with the uh, understanding of a, disab a disabled learner in mind. Uh, that was not taken care of. And to remedy that afterwards, it was just a nightmare.
difficult times really and a nightmare can only be imagined. But this period has been difficult for all. But one must consider that newly blind persons have struggled particularly more during this time, coping during this time, having to undergo mobility training and all. How, have this, how has this been? Do you have any experiences with people who have been struggling with this as a newly blinded person? Not at this particular time of lockdown. Maybe uh, they themselves were scared by uh, the effect of lockdown. Uh, but generally, it is a problem uh, reorientating a person who was not blind and uh, bringing him into the new life of being blind. You have to counsel that person. You have to change the mindset of that person. You have to make that person accept the new phenomenon. Now, uh, that if it is uh, prevalent now to a person who has just become blind now, and, and uh, with the lockdown that came in, I suppose that would be very, very difficult for that person to cope. 100%. And you have recently launched an appeal to the public for the support to help partially sighted entrepreneurs as their businesses are at a standstill due to the coronavirus pandemic. Have you been receiving any help to sustain these entrepreneurs? And how can people still pledge their support? To a certain extent, yes, we are receiving uh, feedback from the public uh, and we would uh, encourage everyone to further pledge their support, really, because much as we understand everyone is uh, at a uh, dilemma as we speak, uh, I believe that we can extend a helping hand to support those who are vulnerable. So, so yes, let us, let us uh, extend our helping hand. The number which they can use is 45345. Uh, they can pledge and the number would uh, request of them a 20 rand uh, pledge. Uh, and then if they want to make a larger uh, donation, they can write an email and, and discuss their plans and how they can arrange their donations. The email address is uh, specialfund at blandsa.org.za. And you have made further calls to government outside of them ignoring the current calls for the lockdown um, around government. And this is something you have done with the World, the World Blind Union to government to assist yes. with the participation and inclusion of blind persons throughout the pandemic, to assist with mm. the access of information, to assist with the yeah. emergency response, groceries yeah. and home supplies and health, to name a few. Has the government mm. responded to your needs? Yeah, on the 4th of uh, May, we uh, were invited by the Deputy Minister for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. And uh, we partnered with them to uh, provide the uh, sanitary packs and, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, food parcels to identified families in the western area and and i think we, we thought that was going to go a long way uh, because that was how we we felt at that particular time uh, there were there were some other promises from government which we are still waiting for even now uh, so that we can further uh, support our people so i think i think yes we are going to 
to, to partner with government when it comes to that. We are going to identify more and more families who can benefit from uh, those uh, strides which government at least is trying to put an effort towards achieving that goal. And we can't end this conversation without touching the issue of gender-based violence. So blind and partially sighted women and girls are at risk of exploitation and violence and abuse due to the isolation and social distancing requirements imposed by the coronavirus pandemic. Has law enforcement agencies and human rights organizations been of assistance in terms of the preventative measures to help curb violence against blind and partially sighted women and girls? I, it, it was not like that even before the pandemic. Uh, we had many cases which, were, which came as a shock to, to us as planners. I remember there was a case which we picked up in, in the Eastern Cape in 2019, excuse me, where it, it, it was alleged that uh, a Shabin across the street hosts uh, a, a, a predator who would on regular basis cross the street and uh, come to this family and rape the mother who was mentally ill and rape the child who was blind. Uh, and, and obviously to, taking advantage that these people could not identify him. And, and he did that uh, several times. And the community there bothered not to salvage the situation. Uh, uh, and, and the police were made aware of this situation. And uh, unfortunately they did not assist until it came, it came to us. So what I'm saying is it, it was not the situation before the pandemic. Uh, I don't believe, without, without having records, uh, to beg my, my, my belief, but I don't believe that uh, there is any improvement when it comes to that. Because uh, much more focus, if you will agree with me, has shifted to the regulations and how best can they change and how best can they respond to the outcry by the community at large. And these kind of trivial, according to them, uh, circumstances might not make them much more prominent. So I don't think they're giving it uh, sufficient in, uh, um, focus, even if it is being reported to them, because it was not the case even before the pandemic. What, what we, may, we may make a call for is that uh, let, us, let us raise issues with the organizations so that we get, we get on record how the response had been uh, in terms of gender-based violence. Uh, Blind SA has got a subcommittee that works with gender-based uh, violence. And if these issues are raised with us, we can make necessary interventions and even push the minister to the limit. Uh, if it comes to a push, so that they can urgently respond to these problems. But I doubt, really, if they had given this area a focus, particularly for persons with disabilities. That was Nchabeni Nchituni, the Vice President of Blind SA. Thank you so much for your time. Furthering this conversation, we are joined by Princess Sibanda and Wilson Macharia, students from the University of Pretoria, who are also persons with disabilities to share their experience of education and university during the pandemic. And may I ask Princess, what has your experience been like as a student with a disability? Thank you so much for the question. Um, greetings. Okay, I, firstly, I'd like to give you a brief description of my disability. Um, it's called muscular dystrophy. So basically it 
a deterioration of my muscles as I grow older. And uh, most of the time, okay, let me say, if, oh, yeah, most of the time I'm dependent on um, human assistance. Um, in varsity, I have a caregiver at home. Fortunately, um, I have people to help me. So as soon as we get back to varsity, I will need someone to come help me, which means there'll be someone coming in and out um, of varsity and interacting with people from outside coming in and interacting with me, which puts me at risk of um, getting infected and also the person who's assisting me um, getting infected. So those are my worries um, when it comes to going back to varsity with the whole pandemic going on. Um, so perhaps also to mention my disability, I'm visually impaired or blind. And that means that in most cases, I require assistance from other people when I'm walking, especially if I'm not used to the uh, environment that I'm in. So one of the main things that arose is how can somebody or my friend guide Wilson Masharia? Because in most cases, to guide me, you either have to hold my hand or I hold yours, or the alternative is I hold your elbow. So the thing is, for the safety precautions that people are taking now, I cannot hold your hand because uh, of fear of spread of the virus, and I cannot hold your elbow either because that's where people are told to sneeze at at the moment. So at first it was a challenge uh, adjusting and finding ways to be guided or just staying in one place, quarantining yourself in a house, but we have also become a little innovative that I can be guided by holding, holding one's shoulder. Um, the other challenge was on health and fitness um, because that also means that I wouldn't walk out a lot, um, which to some extent might affect my health and fitness. Uh, being in a new environment, I, I just came to Pretoria in, in February, that means I still needed assistance when I'm moving around. That means it would be difficult for me to say I'm going for a walk or a run without getting into contact with people. And the last one, one of the main challenges was on accessing information. Because, um, you know, as a visually impaired person, you highly rely on Braille. And when there is no Braille, I need to use a screen reader to access different websites. Braille needs contact. So I need to touch the books and all that and, and my braille devices, which we are told to sort of abstain from touching things and surfaces. And then so for the websites, some access uh, websites are very, very inaccessible for screen readers. That's it for me. So Wilson, you paint a picture of relying very heavily on the need of touch and of having to be able to reach out and understanding your surroundings. So you mentioned that you have gotten innovative by now using an individual's shoulder. What else has the, co the pandemic forced you to be innovative? With those websites that you mentioned are inaccessible, what other alternatives have you used? Um, so basically, in, 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 it, it, I just try to find a simple solution for the challenge that I may, I may be facing at that time, point in time. And one thing that I did was also start looking up on the internet for um, applications uh, or softwares that would assist me access 
some of these sites that I would like to, you know, in the past. For instance, if I don't have, if I have to be guided, say, to go for a walk or a morning run, I looked for uh, an application that would probably assist me um, in navigation, especially if I'm going to a place which is not, uh, does not have, you know, many people around or cars. So I actually found one app, it's called Lazarero. Um, I would use it to walk around and it would tell me in 200 meters turn left, in 200 meters turn right. That's an app I did not know about before. Um, over and above that, um, especially trying to follow up on the statistics, how is the uh, virus spreading? Some of the websites were very inaccessible because they use graphics, say an image to portray that in this place there are more infection than this other place. But there are also some other people who were conscious of the fact that they are visually impaired persons, others being visually impaired themselves, who created websites that were mainly text-based from country to country. So I would go to this website and look um, how, what are the statistics in South Africa, what are the statistics in Kenya, and that way I was able to uh, more or less access the information. Really a time that has made everyone rethink how they do things. Princess, you mentioned relying heavily on or needing the assistance of human interaction um, to help you. How have you gotten around this very important part of your daily lives and how have you substituted it if it has been? So far, it's been okay because um, when the whole um, lockdown situation started, we were requested to go home and not stay on campus. So then that put me off risk. And I haven't really thought about how it's going to work when I have to go back to campus because what I do at home, it's something that I'm used to. The people that stay here, they come back, they do not touch a lot of things that might um, cause us to be infected. So um, to be honest, I haven't thought of uh, innovative ways, I mean, other ways of how things are going to be um, when we go back. Because human interaction so far, it's the only thing um, that I need to use to get through the day. So with many industries and many people being supported during this pandemic, how has government supported your community and have you received any assistance of any sort from the community during, from government during this time? I haven't received any assistance from the government besides um, promises. Um, okay, where I'm from, things are not really um, accessible like public transport and all of that so that's one thing I've been trying to get assistance with but I haven't gotten any response and they've also mentioned the thing of um, food puzzles which I tried to apply for other people and myself also but uh, I haven't gotten anything and yeah besides my normal social grant that's all I've been getting and Wilson, on your side, have you received any assistance from government um, during this time? Um, well, personally, uh, no, none, none really. I, I was actually, I recently even started a conversation with Princess about what government in South Africa was doing to assist vulnerable, vulnerable groups, uh, specifically persons with disabilities. 
Um, there has been a few promises here and there, but as long as I'm concerned, most of the assistance has been coming from uh, a few disabled persons organizations. And personally for me, also the center where I'm situated, which is the Center for Human Rights. So Wilson and Princess, you have each highlighted such unique experiences that people in our society don't consider. So you, if you were to advise government, as Wilson, you mentioned the conversation you had with Princess, if you had to advise government, NGOs and universities regarding how to include persons with disabilities in interventions relating to COVID-19, what would your advice be, Wilson? Um, so one thing that I always mention um, during in such conversations is a concept I call ATP, which simply means ask the person. The mistake that most stakeholders do, a government and otherwise, is to take steps um, other times intended for to assist persons with disabilities, but they do not involve them in making that decision, and then they end up making the wrong decision altogether and as long as persons with disabilities are concerned then that means nothing has been done to assist them so the first thing and perhaps the main one would be to involve persons with disabilities in the decisions that they are making i think then that would even answer the rest of uh, most of the rest of the questions and princess what is your take on what governments and ngos and institutions should be aware of? I think Wilson mentioned everything, but um, one thing I would like to highlight is that the people supporting persons with disabilities, especially the government, they should be aware that our disabilities are different and we require different um, kinds of support. The fact that I am on a wheelchair and the next person is on a wheelchair doesn't mean that our disabilities are the same or maybe our needs are the same. And the fact that this person has hearing impairment and this other one has hearing impairment, it doesn't mean that um, we have the same understanding of how to get around. So what uh, Wilson mentioned that you should ask the person, uh, be aware of what the person needs. Yes, we are a large community, but if you try and interact with the person, um, with the party you want to help, then you will be able to not maybe satisfy all our needs, but meet us halfway and we'll also do the same. So ask the person and ensure that you do not generalize is the message that Wilson and Princess have for NGO institutions and governments. So moving more specifically as your life as students, Princess, you mentioned that you've gone home. Wilson, you mentioned that you are um, well catered for at the center you are based at. What has your institution and your university done to assist you further, Princess? Okay, um, first thing they made sure that my studying is a bit easy. I can access my study material. Uh, my lecturers have been very nice. Um, they've been communicating all the things that uh, we're going to need to use and ask us if we need any more assistance. And also, um, the disability unit tried contacting us um, to find out if there's anything that we need support of. For example, there are students who need extra time when writing exams, and that information was communicated to lecturers, and everyone is aware that there is students with disabilities 
on campus. So, so far, the support that we've been getting has been um, sufficient. And they've made us um, understand that this is uh, new for everyone. So if we keep quiet and not communicate things, then we're not going to be able to get anywhere. So that's what we've been doing. And I believe other students have been doing that also, communicating. Wilson, and your experience as a master's student, what assistance have you received? Yes. So, I mean, the, the first thing that happened was that we had to transition quickly to online classes because the, the way my master's program is, um, is, is designed, you have to undertake it in one year, which involves six, six months of intense, um, you know, contact classes. So the first thing that I'd say was considerate, particularly to me, was making sure that the online platform that we are going to use is actually accessible because there are many, many different types of, um, you know, platforms which you can have such online uh, forums and classes, but they made sure that the one we are using is one that I can access, um, access the chat, access and, and all, all the other prompts, like what we are using right now. Um, the second one would be um, just making sure that because I'm not able to access, say, the slides or the PowerPoints that uh, the lecturers are using, um, because screen share does not work well with screen readers, uh, a screen reader is what we persons with visual impairment use to access our computers or phones, they send the material in advance earlier to me so that I can interact with them before the actual class. And the third one, which I think has been particularly helpful, not only for me, but also other students, is providing counseling services. Because this is a time when many people might be going through some mental uh, disturbances and, and, and you know, just being alone, sometimes not being able to talk to people, They've provided counseling services, uh, people who you can contact and tell what you're going through and what assistance you may need. I think that is vital in, uh, during such times. So support and adjustment has been given. But my last question before I let you go is, what are your concerns? Today marks the first day that students are returning back to campuses with some universities in implementing a phased approach. So there comes a time when we will be back on campus. And for that time, what are your concerns around this? Princess? Um, one question I've been asking myself since... Um the Minister of Higher Education announced that we'll be going back to campus soon, is that are they ready for everyone? Um, most students have to travel from other provinces and areas that are hotspot for this um, pandemic. Are they ready for everyone? Is it going to be um, a safe space for all students to, to be there? And are the students have compromised immune systems. Are they going to be able to support and have everyone's health um, in check or maybe, I don't know, is the university ready for plus 50,000 students to be in one place and staff members? The information that the High Health has been sharing and um, Department of Health. And Wilson, what are some of your concerns about eventually going back to campuses? 
Yeah, so um, I think as I mentioned um, in the beginning of this conversation is uh, particularly for persons with disabilities, uh, we use some assistive devices. For instance, I walk around with my white cane, which has a name, I call it Ashley. And uh, most people would not, uh, I, I wonder whether the institution also takes that into consideration that if they are offering sanitizers to the students who will be in classes, they consider that persons with disabilities might need a little more because of also sanitizing their assistive devices that they have. And then secondly, I'm a bit concerned about the students themselves because of the social distancing and all that. Um, I, who is visually impaired, for instance, would require somebody to be in contact with someone to know that they are actually there, you know, to know that there's someone next to me in case anything happens. But in these times, what happens then? There are people who are deafblind who only communicate using touch, and some of them are students in different other campuses, not only University of Pretoria. Their only method of communication has actually been forbidden, which involves touch. There are people who, are, um, who have hearing impairment, who are deaf, um, who might, want, might not always walk around with a sign language interpreter because that's another cost, they rely on lip reading, but people are using masks, so they cannot actually read these lips. So I wonder um, whether the academic institutions have thought about these things deeply, um, involve persons with disabilities and other stakeholders in these decisions, and see what reasonable accommodations or adjustments they can make to um, involve and include persons with disabilities. Those were persons with disabilities, Princess Sibanda and Wilson Macharia, university students from UP, sharing on their experience as students and what they feel government and NGOs should note when making plans to fight this pandemic.